Welcome to Well Connected by Murad's podcast series, Why Is No One Talking About? Where experts and insiders cover hot topics related to mind, body, food, and of course, skin that are under the radar, taboo, or unexplored. I'm Allison Hayslip, actress, TV personality, and your new host. I am so excited to be doing this because I have been a diehard Murad fan for years. I worked on a show from 2007 to 2011 where I was an on-camera host and Murad sponsored our show. And I was exposed to Murad products at that time. They gave me facials and I truly understood what skincare was at that point. And I have been a loyal fan of Murad ever since then. And that is why I cannot wait to step into this journey with you, the listeners. We are going to find out the best health info out there that you might not be hearing about anywhere else. So today we are talking about bias the bias that many people exhibit and the bias that exists in the beauty industry towards people who are considered traditionally attractive. It's called lookism. And here to speak to us about that today is Heather Widows. She's a professor of global ethics at the University of Birmingham. She's the author of Perfect Me, Beauty as an Ethical Ideal, and she looks at the demands of beauty on society. Heather, so great to be speaking with you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to dive into this topic because it's something that I have heard of but never quite understood, and I feel like you are going to be able to educate us all so well today. So let's talk about, let's just, what is the definition of lookism? Lookism is a bias or a discrimination that's about appearance. So if you are sexist, you are biased about sex or gender. If you're racist, you're biased about race or ethnicity. If you are lookist, as very many of us are, because we're only just beginning to call out lookism, then you are biased about appearance in one form or another. So in fact, it's incredibly common. It's almost the last bit of discrimination that we really need to call out. So we're only beginning to recognize just how powerful lookism is and how just like we don't accept sexist comments anymore, whereas you know those of you who watch Mad Men know that we did not that long ago. Uh, we didn't name it <laughs> and we right. just thought it was normal. So now we're beginning to do that with lookism. Right. And it sounds like it's something that could be very maybe innate and something we don't even realize that we're doing. Is that don't, possible? I don't think it's innate because that's like saying that sexism would be innate. It mm, certainly yeah. sort of becomes normal in our particular cultural moment. But, you know, just because it was once normal to make decisions about people based on race and was once normal to make assumptions about what people could do based on sex, we now don't think that's at all okay or at all normal. And I think we need to get to that place with appearance too. So often people will say to me, oh yeah, but you know, you, that's just normal to get those comments in the playground with the coffee cooler. It's like, it's normal now, but it doesn't have to be in five years time. So right. let's just not. <laughs> You're right. And look how much stuff is not quote unquote normal anymore. I often hear the halo effect associated with lookism. Can you explain what the halo effect is and what that has to do with lookism? The halo effect describes the way that uh, attractive people have certain advantages and certain benefits. Um, and the halo effect is sadly real. And there's a danger that it becomes more real the more our culture becomes obsessed with appearance, more visual, more virtual. But at the moment, the halo effect, while real, is a lot smaller than people think it is. So it's certainly the case that attractive men and attractive women will earn slightly more than particularly those who are considered to be very unattractive. So Daniel Habermash describes something like a 17% beauty premium 
for men and a 12% beauty premium for women. So it, it is real, but it's much smaller than people think. Often people think, oh, if you're attractive, everything will happen to you. And it's like, actually, it opens some doors, but only some. So yes, you might be more likely to get a first date, but you're not more likely to continue the relationship. You might be more likely to get a call back for a job if there are things like pictures on the job application, but only if you've got the skills. And actually, it is real, but we sort of live in a generation where especially the young are beginning to think that, oh, if they're attractive, then everything will happen. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's really not that powerful. Oh, interesting. So it, it, it can be giving you more opportunities, but it's not necessarily giving you more actual, tangible benefits. Right. It delivers something. It delivers a little bit more. You, know, you earn a little bit more. And for men, taller men earn a little bit more. But it is absolutely not the most defining feature and certainly often in relationships looks matter at the point of meeting but they matter less and less as time goes on and that happens in lots of other contexts oh right yes I've definitely experienced that (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) yeah so so why do you think we're predisposed to make these kinds of judgments based on looks alone we're definitely predisposed to make judgments on how other people look. And, and I kind of can't imagine how human beings would relate to each other if they read nothing from how they look. Because we are these, you know, we are these flesh and blood things. We, we So much of our communication is not verbal. And, and we wouldn't want that not to be true, right? So we want to make some judgments about people based on how they look. We don't want to, you know, be all doing music interviews behind you know, screens so that we never interact because so much of our interaction is about how our bodies interact. So, you know, I I think human beings would have to transform in unimaginable ways for us not to make some judgments on appearance. But what matters is is the kind of judgments we're making and they're quite extreme judgments we're making now. So in in Perfect Me, I argue we're in a very new moment with a, a global beauty ideal, a virtual culture that's been very visual and that suddenly it's becoming very morally judgmental the decisions we're making so if you don't measure up to this actually impossible and very inhuman ideal then we're making judgments about you know you're failing you've let yourself go and and body hair I mean body hair is really crucial we're making decisions about people being disgusting or dirty or unclean when we see body hair how how has that happened Okay, so let's talk a little bit about skin and how and what it, its impact on lookism is. I mean, you know, you touched a bit about it on racism, obviously, and different skin colors. But how about actual skin conditions like acne, you know, melasma, eczema, things like that? How does that affect lookism? There are four features of the global beauty ideal, thinness, firmness, smoothness, and youth that track globally for women. That the, the only thing that tracks for men is tallness. So it's just not quite the same. There's the, Interesting. Talk about that if, later if you want. But the, um, there are four features now of a global beauty ideal, and we've never had a global beauty ideal, and that really matters because only a global beauty ideal can do things like turn body hair from unnatural to something that's a health practice rather than a beauty practice right because body hair is a beauty practice but now we think of it as a health practice that only happens with a global ideal you can't do that with foot binding for instance it's just impossible because it's it's only one place one time obviously adornment so there's something absolutely transformative about our current moment with the global beauty ideal and smoothness is one of those features that is all about skin it's not just about acne or disfigured skin in the way that we might think of, of, of the examples that you just used it's even things like large pores right or wow. wrinkles so our ideal now is this skin that, that no human being has it's a kind of 
plastic perfection technological gaze where nobody has the right skin. So obviously, you know, people who fall a long way out of that normal range, you know, um, struggle even or can struggle even more. It's not actually true that how much you objectively don't meet the ideal doesn't necessarily change how you feel about your appearance. Some people who you might look at and think, well, they're obviously in that perfect range, don't feel like it. So there's a, there's right. a whole kind of strange thing going on there. But certainly we are now aspiring to HD television, Instagram skin that no human being has. And, and every cream, if you look at it, it, it raises dark spots, wrinkles, large pores. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't even know large pores were a thing. But oh, my goodness, my daughter does. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's interesting that you bring up HDTV. I was actually working on a show when the network switched from SD to HD. And the first project that I shot where they were using the HD cameras, the camera guy was like, wait, hold on. She has something under her eye. And I was like, what? And my makeup artist comes up to me. She's like, oh, I see it. I'm like, I'm something. What are you talking? And I was like, oh, it's a freckle that has been there right. my entire life right under my left eye. And all of a sudden, because the cameraman was using an HD camera, he could see it. You couldn't see it before. And all of a sudden, it was a thing we had to cover up. It was such that's an odd it, moment. Exactly right. That's exactly yeah. the change, right? And that's not a way you ever see yourself or you ever see another human being when you're having a drink with them. And, and it's like we're holding ourselves to standards that aren't human standards. Yeah, exactly. I have to imagine that social media has had a massive effect on this, you know, especially with TikTok and Instagram, all these filters that we can do. And, you know, it's one thing if you're turning yourself into a cat, but there's all these filters that just all sort of make you look like you're a Kardashian or something like that. Yeah, so it's extraordinary. Is I mean, does, is this making lookism worse? Absolutely. The, the visual virtual culture is is one of the, the drivers of this. Um, it's all about image. It's I think we've never had, I argue quite strong, we've never before had a visual culture. And suddenly we've moved from a text-based culture to a visual culture. And these, we don't know how to manage that at all. The image always speaks louder than the world. So you know that nobody looks like their Instagram pictures, right? We all know that these are curated and filtered lives. And yet that doesn't stop you feeling like you're not good enough and applying those images to yourself. So it absolutely fundamentally transforms. And, and your peer group is no longer, you know, the, the girls in your class at school. It's the whole world. So right. it, it's utterly transformative. Uh, you know, I never like to age myself, but I always think I'm very thankful that social media didn't come in until after I was an adult <laughs> and had a sense of self. And because I can't imagine going yeah. through it, something like that in middle school or high school. But also at the same time, I do want to address the fact that social media does allow us to see people of all different varieties. And I do know that there are a lot of people on social media who are embracing things like acne and bodies that might not conform to the quote unquote normal society standards. So do we think we're getting also maybe a bit of a balancing effect with the exposure that we can get to different types of people? I don't think we've seen much change yet. Um, there's definitely really good intentions. So, you know, the kind of things you're calling out, the you know people posting non-conforming, you know, whether it's skin, whether it's body hair, whether it's fat positivity campaigns for instance or even some of the but often the four features of the ideal thin firm smooth and young nearly always these campaigns only challenge one of those so for instance you know the january campaign started by students at exeter university totally great intentions but the bodies that are pictured are very conforming bodies other than the body hair just like you know 
often you'll get the body positivity campaigns that are much bigger than the averagely normal body, but they still conform in other ways. They're often they're often very curvy, smooth, uh, right. often well made up. Um, so and and even sometimes there with quite sort of traditional pinup posters. So if you only challenge one feature of the ideal, in a way it reinforces it. So it feels empowering and like we're doing something, but actually it, it by the back door it almost says bodies are still really important and these features really matter because you it's almost like if you fail a little bit on this one that's all right because you can overcompensate with these so the range doesn't really change it doesn't really impact on that it doesn't value all bodies and it also it's still about how we look it's still the image um so i do think there's possible ways in which we could use social media better to push back and it does have that democratizing element but i don't think we've quite found how to do that and i think that's connected with the fact that we haven't quite learn what it is to live in an image-based culture we just haven't understood that it's not how we're taught and and what we research I think people like me academics we're probably the worst because we're the wordiest people <laughs> in the world <laughs> <laughs> so we've touched on this a little but the impacts of lookism I mean in, in the beauty industry you're just talking about how even though you know it seems like we're using different types of models it's still conforming to one of these four tenants basically but how about like in in the magazine world or the media industries how how is lookism affecting basically everything we're seeing it seems like so that range of what is is normal is is impacted not particularly by lookism but by this global beauty ideal that is is making this range something that more of us have to conform to more of the time. So it used to be the case that, yes, yes, beauty always mattered, but it mostly mattered for a particular generation and a particular time in life and often for a particular class. It wasn't something that everybody had to conform to all the time, no matter what you do. Whereas we're now almost reaching the point where whether you're a professor of classics or a politician or a sportswoman, you're still going to be judged at least as not necessarily as much, but you will be judged on your body and how well you conform as well. And that kind of sense that no matter what else you do, you have to succeed at this, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're pregnant, whether you're ill, that's again a change. It's become a more dominant and demanding global ideal, which means that while we, we try and kick back with some of the kind of, you know, showing models that are of different shapes and sizes than we did, and that's great, but actually if it makes that range narrow and it means that no matter who you are, what you do, how old you are, what you care about, you're going to be judged on this, it kind of strengthens it too. Right. And it's like, how do we get away from that when we are such a visual society? Right. That's really interesting. And so clearly this is having a huge impact on the real world. What are some of the privileges that conventionally, quote unquote, attractive people might have over others? I know we talked a bit at the beginning about more opportunities, but yeah. are, are there actual tangible things that they that they can benefit from? So there is there are the things we talked about, the halo effect, the slightly higher earning over a lifetime. So that's the 17 percent that Habermas talks about, 17 percent more earning power for is the differential between what he you know he calls a beauty premium between the, the most unattractive and the most attractive for men right. seven I think it's 17 percent for men and 12 for women and, and that's between the very sort of bottom of what he calls you know bad looking men to the top so that's the most concrete and then there are other things that are reported in psychological studies that people will assume at first meeting better characteristics of beautiful people so this is interesting because the person who is deciding the salary range 
that's such a... I mean, we have the saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So isn't that a bit subjective at times? But it seems that since we have these stats, there must be some overall bias happening. It's interesting. And we're in an interesting moment. And it, when we reflect, we'll, we'll know a lot more. Because, of course, this, this stuff is where we're at now. Um, right. Whereas, of course, the kind of ideals that we're aspiring to are increasingly inhuman. So will will that still be the case? And and also there's the, the, the kind of opportunity cost. So you could spend all of your time beautifying, posting, getting likes, so all the things that people believe will result in them getting all the, what, what, what we ethicists call the goods of the good life. But of course, now that's not the same as it was 10 years ago, because the amount of things you would have to do and the time you would have to spend would mean that, of course, you couldn't do those other things that people do to make their lives go well, like, you know, study for the exams, get the qualifications, get the experience. Right. So, so much of that relies, of course, on what we were doing, what we will do. Um, you know, if you spent all your time having cosmetic surgery, being in the gym, you're probably not going to get your law degree from Harvard, for instance. Right. So, right. Um, so there's a, there's a real moment of how that will be in the future. So, are there any disadvantages that come with being seen as quote unquote attractive to the rest of the world? So, the real disadvantages are not those that come from individuals and how they look. The real disadvantages are the disadvantages that we get from living in this body obsessed culture so we, we do literally have an epidemic of body image anxiety that's growing and I try not to talk all about the harms of beauty but it is a terrible moment as you were saying about being you won't want to grow up in social media the the epidemic of body image anxiety is real and it's felt and um, there's all kinds of things that young people girls and boys don't do because they feel that they don't measure up in the appearance stakes and that's from things like physical exercise to putting their hands up in class so it impacts not just on how they feel about their appearance, it, it impacts on all aspects of their life. And that's getting worse and increasing. And I can only see that continuing to go in that direction. And I think that feeds all kinds of other mental health disorders. Very few are not connected to this rise in appearance anxiety. Right. So is there a solution to that? I mean, when it sounds this dire in a way you know you almost want to be like okay well let's not market anything with people but that that just seems completely that you know like that ship has sailed so (laughs) that ship is is (laughs) over that horizon right (laughs) so how do we counteract this I guess yes so we have to try things so part of the reason that this is as serious as it is, is because it hasn't been taken seriously. Oh, it's just girly stuff. Oh, it's just beauty. And it's just not been taken seriously. I think we should start by going, right, okay, this is really serious, right? If this, this was having the impact of anxiety through, you know, some kind of new behavior or, you know, a new drug or a new playground game, right? We'd, we'd all be up in arms and legislating. So why are we not treating this like it's serious and a public health issue? And we are beginning to, right? We are beginning to realize that, that it's really serious to have that kind of level of uh, mental health anxiety that is then leading to all kinds of behavioral changes. So we are beginning to recognize that. Policymakers are beginning to talk about it. They weren't at all 10 years ago and they are now. So the first thing to do is go, this isn't silly, petty, girly stuff. This is really serious and let's call it a public health issue. And then we need to try some stuff. And some of the stuff that we think will work doesn't. So I was like a real proponent of labeling images to say what had changed in them. And, and we did that in some places. Australia did it particularly because they're, they're really quite good at doing forward 
thinking stuff on bodies. Right. And then what happens, you get a little label that says, this model of legs has been lengthened and the cellulite removed. Like, what happens is that the person, instead of thinking, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because it's been digitally altered, because the words say legs, you look at the legs longer and then you feel worse about your own legs. Oh, right. <laughs> Which is what I mean about the image speaking louder than words. Right? We don't quite understand how our sense of ourselves is created and how images impact that. So there's some of the research. One of the things that I've done is, um, I don't know if you've, you've seen, I, I launched the Everyday Lookism campaign, which was kind of modelled on the Everyday Sexism campaign. We sort of made a call to ask people to share their luckiest stories. Right? Everybody's got that horrible body shaming story where, you know, somebody embarrassed you. Like, well, oh God, how could you be wearing that? Or, you know, your bum's too big. Or you'd be pretty if only you lost some weight. Right? We all have that one. I mean, I have hundreds. And so we, we started that and we thought, oh, that'd be really easy. It'll just go really fast. Not at all. No movement at all. Oh, until we made it anonymous we had to go and create an anonymous website so i i mean this is my sense of the shame involved in lookism we're so far down the line compared to where sexism now when you share a, a sexist story the emotions that attach to that are anger and how dare they and that's not okay when people share a lucky story especially if they have to do it with their own names the shame is really real, which is a signal of just how deep this goes, right? The shame involved in feeling like you don't make the appearance grade is one that we've deeply internalized. So I think we should be sharing our luckism stories as a way to say it's not okay, right? These are not playground comments. They're not water cooler things. I don't care what your intention is. I don't care why you said it. No more nasty comments about other people's bodies. And that wouldn't stop us being luckist. But it might shift it a little bit so you're not ashamed when the comment's made to you. You're doing that. How dare you say that? Right. You know, my body, you don't get to say nasty things about my body or anybody else's body. That's not okay. And yeah. we're so far from that. That's fascinating that it needed to be anonymous. But you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, my own experiences and and would I be comfortable like speaking up about stuff like that? You know, it's interesting. I I work in Hollywood, like my career revolves around me being seen all the time. So I've very much dealt with people making comments about me left and right, who I don't even know, you know, and it's not even people I know, it's complete strangers. And I've always just resigned myself to the fact that it's part of the business. It's what I signed up for. You know, I have to have quote unquote thick skin and just be okay with it to an extent. But it doesn't ever really click with me that people who don't do what I do, who don't work in an industry where we're, right. you know, where we have to be looked at also, I mean, of course people are also dealing with it, but the fact that it would affect someone in such a way that they wouldn't want to talk about it unless they were anonymous is really, that that's really hitting me right now. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. I have a look at them. Some of them, they're heartbreaking and they're yeah. from, you know, husbands, lovers, friends and you know the stranger one right we all know that one but actually the ones that really hurt people are ones that people have said thinking they were well-intentioned right Um, and there's there's hundreds of them hundreds and hundreds and you know you don't have to read many before you know and and that's why they're kind of they are they're sad in a way that we've taken the sadness out of sexist stories now we don't feel guilty as women when somebody makes a sexist comment we don't we've transferred that and that's what we need to do and somehow sharing the stories when people read them they go it's not just me like everybody feels 
like this and it doesn't matter you know you get shamed for being fat you get shamed for being thin you get shamed for wearing makeup you get shamed for not wearing makeup you get shamed for caring about your appearance and doing things right. you get shamed for not doing things and that's why the answer has to be it's not oh this is okay and that's not it's got to be just no comments about other people's bodies won't change the fact that we are luckiest but it will change some of that fear of being shamed right so i'm sure that we have all whether intentionally or not participated in lookism. So what can we do to stop these biases? You know, how can we become aware? How can we even help other people, you know, step up and say, hey, that's not okay what you're saying. What what can we do? So one thing we can do is name it and, and stop treating it like it's not important. So I always say to parents, right, whatever you do, you know, the most prevalent form of bullying in schools is appearance bullying. And yet it's the one that teachers and parents don't know what to do with as much because you know and they say things like you know the oh it's what's on the inside that counts right just don't do that <laughs> don't do things like that because it just undermines and alienates right your child because they know that the inside does count but so does the outside and they know that and you have to help them negotiate that we can say look we wish it didn't and we can work towards a world where it matters less than we really are diverse but right now Yes, I know you feel like that. So we can validate it and take it seriously as a first interpersonal step, especially if you've got young women and men. Don't tell them that it shouldn't matter. Don't tell them they should just learn to be resilient. Um, the more you can teach people to be resilient, that's great. But it, it's too much to ask. You know, this is an overwhelming, globally demanding beauty ideal. It's not fair to say, oh, it's all up to you to feel OK about it. And that's some of my worry about some of the body positivity campaigns. Sometimes young women can respond by thinking, I do still feel bad. And now I feel bad that I've not got the right attitude. So it can mm. sort of make it worse. So it, it's recognizing as it is, taking it seriously. We can all say less of those comments about other people's bodies. We don't have to blame ourselves for the fact we've been doing it. This is normal in our society, but we can gradually change it step by step. And then the other thing that I'm really passionate about is just not blaming or shaming people for what they do or don't do. I don't think there's a duty not to engage. I think that we just stop making judgments about other people's bodies and their practices um, and we stop saying, oh, this is the right way to do it. We don't know what the right way to do it is. We're living in a completely new era, all kinds of different technological possibilities of what we can actually do to change our real bodies. And then there's the whole digital world. So we can just try and take a step back, make the culture kinder and nicer. And then maybe we'll have a way to think our way through to how we want to live in the next 50 years. Would it be wrong to say that media has to make a change, though, as well? Because I feel like a lot of the reasons that we're making these comments about other people's bodies is because they're not looking like the people who are selling us products, like the people who we're watching on TV. Because, you know, in the industry where I'm working, there's a huge push for diversity in all aspects right now, which is amazing. It's like, let's get more people who we haven't seen on screen on screen. So everyone has someone to relate to and everyone can experience this kind of thing. But there still is, in terms of lookism, in terms of standard attractiveness, those are the people who are going to sell more product at the end of the day. You know, that's what these companies realize and and that to me seems like the more, you know, you're not consciously thinking about it, but if you're, if someone's looking at two different dresses and they find the the model wearing the one dress more attractive than the other model, they are probably going to be more inclined to buy that dress. And therefore the, the company knows this is going to be, and it's going to be 
hiring more models like that. So does it need to come from the the corporate side that you know I, even as i'm saying this i'm like capitalism is the root of all evil at this point yeah <laughs> it's like what you know where money speaks and and so how do we adjust that so it does and we couldn't be here the way we're doing individual consumption in a particular capitalist moment that is absolutely crucial to what's going on right you only you know invent large pores that you can be sold products to fix them or cellulite or you know very many of these things that are we name flaws and then we sell people things to fix them. But you can only sell people things according to what they value. Well, Heather, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for speaking with us. I'm sort of blown away by what I have learned here today because I was aware of lookism, but just truly understanding how it's affecting people in their everyday lives. To me, I thought it was more of a media thing. I thought it was more of the, you know, what we were being sold was the problem. But no, understanding that it is truly like affecting a, a day-to-day interaction with people you know and love is is pretty mind-blowing. And I'm going to go walk away and have a cup of tea and really think about myself right now. <laughs> but Heather, thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners have learned so much because I've had my mind blown during this. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Why Is No One Talking About for Well Connected by Murad. Want to get in touch? Leave a comment or DM at Murad Skincare on Instagram or TikTok. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review, and connect with us at wellconnected.murad.com. I'm Alison Hayslip.